Welcome to the weekly Dharma Talk podcast from the Columbus Karma Teksum Choling Buddhist Meditation Center. This week's Dharma Talk is entitled, Is Being Good, Good Enough? by Lama Tom Broadwater. In today's talk, we will look at the motivation and view for the Buddhist practice of virtue. Then, in that light, we will briefly look at each of the six virtues in Buddhist practice. If you like our Dharma Talk series, please consider donating to Columbus Karma Teksum Choling at columbusktc.org. Enjoy the podcast. So again, good morning and welcome. My name is Lama uh, Tom Broadwater, and I have the pleasure and the privilege of being able to come here at least once a month and give a Dharma talk. Earlier this morning, Lama and Kathy and I did a Nundra group, which was really exciting. I have the privilege of being involved in that. And we had the most at that group that we've ever had in the last 15 years. It was wonderful. <laughs> Not sure exactly how many, but it, it filled up the screen. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to take refuge. And you should have little sheets. I don't have one. Could someone give me one? Not that I don't know, but you know what? I sometimes even screw this up. So the thought that comes to my mind immediately about refuge is we say it every time we get together as Buddhists. And there's a reason for that. As I was driving here this morning, I thought to myself, how many times during the past week, I could say past couple of days, have I taken refuge in something other than the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha? You know, some, something, you know, some hope for the future. I'm taking refuge in that. Even some, sometimes some regret in the past, I take refuge in that wallow in that. And what we as Buddhists know is that the only safe refuge we have is the Buddha, his teachings, and those that are following him. So I fail every day taking refuge in something other than what I said in my refuge vow I would do. And so that's why we say it. I've been to ceremonies where we've said those three lines over and over and over for 15, 20 minutes, just to remind ourselves of what is a safe refuge. And according to us and our Buddhist teachings, we believe there is nothing safer than our refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. 
if you're not Buddhist and you have not taken refuge in a Buddha, you can still take refuge. Ultimately, you can take refuge in the goodness and the kindness that is within you. The goodness and the kindness that you see in the world, you can take refuge in that. Okay, so let's say the refuge prayer together, recognizing the fact that we frequently take refuge in things less secure. And we'll say this three times in English. In the Buddha, the Dharma, and the assembly most excellent, I take refuge until I reach enlightenment by the merit of generosity and other good deeds, may I achieve enlightenment for the sake of all beings. In the Buddha, the Dharma, and the assembly most excellent, I take refuge until I reach enlightenment. By the merit of generosity and other good deeds, may I achieve enlightenment for the sake of all beings. In the Buddha, the Dharma, and the assembly most excellent, I take refuge until I reach enlightenment. By the merit of generosity and other good deeds, may I achieve enlightenment for the sake of all beings. So let's just take a moment to relax. You know, we came in here and, you know, we carry a lot of baggage sometimes and we even bring it into this room. So for just a moment, relax. Try to drop that baggage of either the past or your fears of the present or your anxieties about the present or the future, what you're gonna do when you leave here. So just relax for just a moment. You don't have to meditate, just relax. You might take a deep breath. You might shake yourself all around a little bit. Get relaxed. Just rest your mind. You don't have to do anything else, but just rest your mind. So the title of the talk that uh, I was supposed to give today was uh, Is Goodness Being Good Good Enough, right? That was the talk I was supposed to give. Well, what happened was I was talking to Lama Kathy about that very subject and we got going on it and I saw it in a different light. And so I started rewriting my talk and then I was bringing in this and bringing in, what's that called, uh, subject spread or something like? 
Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I, was, I had so many thoughts, and I couldn't get them all sort of aligned. So I can't give that talk about um, being good. Is that good enough? But I'll give you a little hint. It isn't. <laughs> but, but that's for a future talk. Uh, and it'll be about uh, the paramitas and how bodhicitta and being a bodhisattva all fit together in terms of uh, practicing the bodhisattva way of life. But I'm not ready to give that one yet. <laughs> so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to, and if that disappoints anybody and they want to get up and leave right now, they <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> so what I'm going to do today is talk about um, our speech how we talk, and how important our speech is. One of the things I have emphasized in the previous talks that I've been giving, there is one thread that runs throughout all of those, and that is our practice is not just our sitting on our cushions. Our practice is our life. Now, don't get me wrong, sitting on the cushion, doing pujas, saying mantras are incredibly important, but they're only a part of practice. The rest of our life also is practice. I'm very sad when people say to me, Tom, I don't have time for practice. I'm saying, oh my God, you got your whole life. And that makes me sad to think that people think so narrowly about their life and think that it's only there. So the Buddhist teaching is about how we live, how we live our lives. And so today, one of the parts of our lives that we experience every day is our speech. Sometimes when we reflect, reflect on our commitment to free our minds, we, we sort of put speech in the background. We forget about it. But that's fragmenting our lives. Our speech, what we say, is integral to our practice. So it's not inappropriate for us to pay attention to that speech because it's a part of ethical behavior. So it's really profoundly about our spirituality and our ultimate goal of liberation. Speech acts as an aid to our purification of our own minds. It's more than simply a bunch of no's, you know, in terms of our ethical behavior, not do this, not do that, and so forth. 
Speech is a very powerful force in our lives. Why do I say that? Well, look, we can spend our whole days talking, can't we? If not, you know, our minds are talking all the time. So we're talking all day long. Our speech conditions our relationships with each other. And it has consequences for ourselves now and in the future. The fact that you went around and said hello to each other has a consequence, a good consequence. Next time you greet one another, you will have some con you know, previous contact that you can rely on. Our speech is terribly important. Here's the point. What we say to one another either draws us closer in community or further away. And this community is developing slowly, slowly, slowly. It's starting to grow. I looked out in the parking lot today and the whole parking lot is filled up. I haven't ever seen that like that. So it's growing. So right here in the beginning, if we sort of establish some rules for the road in terms of our speech, this community could be helpful to each other. We could be helpful to each other in this community. So speech is terribly important, particularly at this point in time in the history of this community. So maybe it's a good time, a really good time, for us to look at speech. From a traditional uh, Buddhist perspective, there are four possible misdeeds we perform through speech. And it's important to look at those because we can fall into them so easily. First of all, don't lie, don't slander, don't use harsh words, and don't speak empty words. Those are the four basic things we shouldn't do when we're speaking. And so in this talk, I'm going to look at those four aspects and see how, and uncover how we might do this even unconsciously. So basic to speech is truthfulness, right? And that's the first part of the Buddhist teaching, not to say that which is untrue. Sort of seems obvious, doesn't it? But although it's obvious, it's not always easy to assume that we are speaking the truth. Sometimes falsehood can be seemingly slight and sometimes even humorous. We tend in these circumstances to see lies as, well, not all that bad. I may lie to cover up a presumed greater fault. You ever done that? <laughs> yeah. Divert attention. I use exaggeration 
and just to divert another to clearly seeing my fault. So what's the big deal, I say to myself when I'm telling this small lie. Joseph Goldstein quotes the uh, philosopher Nietzsche in saying, I am unhappy with your lie, not because you told me this lie, but I can never trust you again. When we tell even little lies to one another, we destroy that bond of trust. So when our speech and our language are misused or corrupted by a lie, that positive and primary function of speech to unite is destroyed, even with the little lies. Lying is also complicated. <laughs> this is something my grandmother always used to say to me. It's a quote from Mark Twain. When you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. <laughs> you, you've heard that. I, I see heads nodding. Yeah, because I have to sort of anticipate <laughs> what I'm going to say next when you point out a contradiction. So once we tell a lie, we generally have to have supporting evidence. And it becomes tiring. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm meeting that person that I told that to, and now he's gonna remember, and I'm doing, you know, it gets really complicated. And the problem here is, and you all know this, once I tell one little lie, I'm going to start with the habit of telling more little lies to you. It never stops. And then I have this habit. And you sort of fall into that. I don't want to get political here, but just for a moment, I want to say something about the larger community or larger society where truth is being sacrificed every day in the name of a doctrine or an ideology. And that goes on all sides. All we have to, <clears throat> excuse me, all we have to do is turn on the TV the politicians and the commentators. And for some, political belief is more important than the truth. And we can get in that mode and we have to be careful. And in that case, when, when political ideology becomes more important than the truth, then really all that matters is how well I can convince you of a thing. Not the truth, but if I, I'm successful, I'm, I'm considered successful if I've convinced you of something, even though it's not the truth. 
Colbert on the late night show says, things become truthy. <laughs> sort of having the form of truth, but not the real substance of truth. Uh, you probably, I, I don't know if you read the Washington Post, but they have a, a column in there where they have uh, give Pinocchios to different uh, politicians for not telling the truth. Uh, and as you probably know, they do have a lot of material there. <laughs> so what's the motivation to tell a lie? All kinds of motivations. Greed, recognition, fear of rejection, jealousy, and ego. And pride. So any of those emotions that we have are fertile ground to tell a lie. If I'm really proud and you find something about me that I'm not proud of, maybe I should lie about that. It's said that the Buddha in his past life, past lives, committed all kinds of transgressions. But the one transgression he never made was to tell a lie. Now that's what they say. So the point here is telling the truth is central to waking up. How can we grow as individuals if we're not being truthful about where we're at? I know where we want to go, but where are we at? If, we're, if we want to go someplace, we have to know where we're at. Physically, I mean, just uh, very uh, concretely, if I don't know that I'm in Columbus, how could I get to back home? Sometimes I notice myself that a, a, a lie will just sort of tumble out of my mouth. Ever had that experience? You, you just boom, it's there. And uh, this seems to be particularly true when we are found out. In the three-year retreat, we are supposed to stay out of the cook's kitchen. One evening, and I'm not going to say who the person was. They know who they were. <laughs> but one evening, uh, a, uh, a retreatant was hungry and went to the kitchen, thinking the cook had uh, gone to bed. And so he reached into the refrigerator, and right when he did that, the cook was, arrived in the kitchen. And there he was, I don't know what it was, a glass of milk or whatever. And uh, the cook said, what are you doing? And uh, the response was, uh, I was looking for a light bulb. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes lies just tumble out of our mouth in absurdity. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll identify the person, it was me. <laughs> Uh, 
Oftentimes, when people ask how much practice they do, um, we can usually subtract about half of that away from it. But again, unless we're truthful with ourselves about what we're doing, how can we ever grow? If we don't know we're in Columbus, how could I get to Zanesville? We have to be, it, it's, it's necessary if we want to grow to be honest with where we're at. Then there's lies of omission. We are covering something up. So there are lies with words and there are lies with silence. We might be under the delusion that we would never tell a lie. <laughs> oh, I'd never tell a lie. Have you probably said that to yourself? And that's the biggest delusion of all. We shouldn't be complacent, say, I'd never tell a lie. Always be aware of the fact that something could slip out that was a lie. We need to be aware of that. Conscious of the fact that truth is important and lies will get me no place. I'll tell you another story in retreat. Um, I had the habit of not only prostrating before an interview with Rinpoche, which is what you do when you go and meet Rinpoche, but I also had this habit of uh, prostrating after I was done the interview. And I thought that was sort of like being extra diligent. And what <laughs> Rinpoche said to me through an interpreter, and I'm paraphrasing here, he said, you know, I'm not really interested in all those nice little rituals that you've developed in addition to what you're supposed to do, which is prostrate the first time. You're doing something extra. I would be much more interested in your being diligent in your practice in your room. <laughs> I was crushed for days. Just really feeling self-doubt even sort of like hatred. My God, am I, am I that bad? But it dawned on me that he was telling me a truth and that my wrapping myself up in this delusion of devotion and then going back to my room and not practicing as I should, he exposed my lie. I'm not devoted if I'm not practicing. So sometimes people can tell you a truth that's very revealing that hurts a little bit. You don't want to hurt people, but sometimes the truth is does reveal uh, something about you that you have not heretofore recognized, and that's a good thing. My teacher saw through my superficial devotion to my actual lack of diligence. And he told me so. And then I, he, he was very gentle about it. <laughs> and it helped me to get rid of some of my pretense. 
So one of the meanings of Dharma is truth. The whole goal of practice is seeing what is true. So that's why it's so important to tell the truth. The truth. So our speech is our attempt to establish a correspondence between our inner being and our an outer phenomenon. I say attempt because as unenlightened beings, our words are fragile things that can only approximate the truth. But on the path, we nonetheless attempt truth-telling. That's really important. So it's like truth is our courageously taking a stand for reality over illusion and delusion, which really is what makes us all unhappy. And that's why lying is such a devastating blow to our progress on the Buddhist path. A lie reinforces illusion and delusion. So we're all less than perfect. Lies may tumble out of us, but truth telling is essential element to practice. So I say this to myself and I say this to you, fear telling a lie. Let's make a commitment to telling the truth. It builds community. And it can transform our lives. How we use our speech is terribly important. So the second aspect of speech is not to slander, backbite, cause disharmony. Do such things exist in Dharma centers? <laughs> no. Yes, they do. And it has incredibly harmful effects. I have seen it, and it breaks your heart. The Buddha said, what is heard here is not repeated there to cause disharmony there. Real simple. What I hear here, I don't go there and tell it so it causes disharmony. Very simple rule. One of the most powerful uses of speech is to, con is to encourage those to be united who are in disunity. Nothing more beautiful than to see a peacemaker, someone who tries to bring people together. And we can use speech to rejoice when people are already 
united. We can rejoice in harmony. A religious center and a Buddhist center in particular is a very diverse grouping of people whose ideas and beliefs are slowly forming around the teachings. And their conduct is slowly conforming to the truth of those teachings. That's what we're all doing here, trying to conform ourselves to the truth in our conduct. And we're all different. We come here for different reasons, although all of us are here to follow the Buddha, but we come here for different reasons and from different backgrounds. We're all in training. This is the beauty of being here. All of us are in training. No one's graduated yet. But despite our differences, or because of them maybe, we can be united in our sincere aspiration to tell the truth. Anyone who comes in the midst of us, this rather fragile gathering of people, to sow division or to slander even the least among us creates really bad, bad karma. Really bad karma. So this should not be a safe place, place for a slanderer. So it's really good to consider what we're saying before we say it. And there is almost this universal American habit of gossiping. How do I say that? Why do I say that? Go on TV. Entertainment tonight. <laughs> We're so worried about what Harry said. And we're waiting for the book to come out so we can read every small little detail. The gossip. Those are some examples. I'm sorry, there are others. And actually, the news right now is an awful lot of gossip. Not, not fact, but gossip. Oftentimes, gossip is just what we do when we get together as friends. Observe that when that happens. That can happen here. Observe it. Don't participate in it, but observe it. It will happen. Someone will take something they heard here and go there to spread disunity. Be aware of that. Ask yourself, what are you getting out of it, this going from here to there? And it's usually some sort of ego gratification, or it might be secretly settling a score. You ever did that? Have you ever done that, tried to settle a score by telling gossip? Yeah.
one of the greatest temptations we have when we are asked, what's your opinion on so-and-so, is to give it. <laughs> First of all, because we're flattered someone asks us our opinion, and it appeals to our pride. And then it invites us to respond in anger, resentment, jealousy, whatever that person may have with inside themselves. Beware of that question anytime it's asked. What's your opinion? Do you really need to give it? <laughs> Is it really that important? You know, I have a tendency to put my two cents in um, and I do that frequently, even when not requested. <laughs> but I can honestly say I have never regretted not responding to that question of what's my opinion. Never. And I have almost always felt bad when I did respond to the question. we can be quite skillful in the way we tear down another person. We'll first stack praise on them. Oh, they did this and they did that. And they, but, but in our mind, we're strategizing so that at the end, we can tell the little part that we disliked about them. Oh, my wife does so many great things for me. She's so wonderful. I love what she's done. She's did this and this. And but oh my God, she snores at night. <laughs> That's a small gossip. My wife actually doesn't snore at night, so I'm telling a lie. <laughs> but we can do that and destroy a person by just praising them all along and waiting for the zinger. It could be a single word or phrase. And we use our praise that began the whole conversation to plausibly deny that we want to say anything bad about that person. It sounds like I know what I'm talking about here. <laughs> I've done this from time to time. What would happen if for one day we didn't speak about someone who is not present? And what if we told our friends, you know, they're not here, so I'm not going to talk about them. I wonder what would happen. But in any case, at least ask yourself before you speak, am I trying to unite people or divide them? And if it's to divide them, what's that all about? Another way to gossip is to gossip about ourselves. Often this is out of conceit, the strong sense of I am. Are we tending always to be self-referential, self talking about ourselves? We like to talk about ourselves.
we like to bring the conversation back to ourselves. Eric and I used to go to Chillicothe uh, to, to visit the prisons. I remember one time uh, there was something that kept popping up in my mind that was, you know, about myself and to brag. It, and I, I, was, I was aware enough to know that it was a point of my wanting to brag. And it kept coming up, coming up, popped up maybe 10 times. And then after it popped up the 10th time, I actually pooped it out. <laughs> sort of the diary of my mind. I said it. <laughs> Self-referential statements are so addicting. The habit energy from past statements are hard to diminish. Speech is such a powerful mirror of our own minds. We should pay attention to it and in doing so, learn so much about ourselves. Just listen to yourself for a day. What do you learn about yourself? So we're not awakened, and so incidents are going to happen, just like the incident I described uh, riding with Eric. That's going to happen. Note it. Watch for it. The third aspect of speech is the emotional tone of what we say. It's about what's in our heart. So is our speech harsh, angry, or abusive? And there's a very simple way to answer that question. Am I being kind? As the Dalai Lama said, be kind whenever possible. And it's always possible to be kind. So to the extent we can, when a thought arises that we want to speak, give ourselves the opportunity to recognize our motivations and then speak consciously, but speak kindly. It's important to be aware of the energy behind our words. Just remember what it feels like when harsh words are directed to us. <sighs> And know that that same feeling is going to be in that other person if those harsh words come from us. Harsh words are not a good environment for communications. Again, the true purpose of speech is to communicate, to unite, to develop connection. I'm not saying that we should suppress our feelings, but we can give ourselves space before we actually speak and make sure it is what we really want to say. 
there's an even greater challenge for us. And that's a challenge to listen, to maintain a balanced mind, whether one is listening to words that are kind or unkind, true or untrue, good or harmful, loving or hateful. It's hard to listen when you hear someone speaking something harsh or hateful. It's really hard. But that's the challenge, to listen to those harsh, hateful words, to see what's being communicated. And what we want to train in is developing a mind that is poised, even when hearing words that are hard to listen to, words that are at the wrong time in the wrong place, by a person filled with hate and wanting to even maybe to hurt you. That's a challenge because what we want to do when we hear harsh words is to return with equally harsh words. That's just the way we habitually want to operate. But the Buddha is challenging us to listen, to see what may be behind those words. We may not be quite there yet to be that poised, but that's something we can work on and work towards and practice. And it is hard, but is it worth aspiring for? That's the question. People, people say, well, that's just too, you know, the Dharma practice, that's really hard. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes it is really hard. Being poised under those circumstances are really hard. And we know that because we frequently fail. But is it worth aspiring to? So my hope is maybe when some of these situations occur to you, some of these words will return to you. The final aspect of right speech is to refrain from useless speech. And let's admit it, a lot of speech is useless, right? Sometimes I will add something totally useless to a conversation. And the only reason I add something to a conversation is to say, I'm here. <laughs> don't, don't leave me out, I'm here. We have to sort of broadcast the fact that in a group we're here, even though it's sort of useless. But when we look at it and analyze it carefully, there's nothing that was particularly meaningful in what we said. This can happen when we're relaxing with friends. Now, I'm not telling you never just to have, you know, a conversation that, uh, every conversation doesn't have to be meaningful, particularly if using words comfort somebody. You know, sometimes people just like to hear words that are comfortable to be with you. Sometimes we use words to lessen the anxiety that we experience. 
So we're going to do some useless speech, maybe. But it is, it is with the purpose of calming a person down or to be with somebody, to show unity. So in that respect, small talk can be very helpful. That's, that's not a problem, and that's not what the Buddha is speaking of. The real question is, is my speech appropriate for the situation? If I'm downstairs in the lunchroom, in the community room, and I'm meeting someone for the first time, we may engage in small talk just to become friends. It's purposeful. So that, that's good. The Buddha has said, speak at the right time in accordance with the facts and what is useful and dharmic. Such a person is a treasure when what is uttered is accompanied by reason, moderate, and full of sense. Of course, these words were spoken to monks, and we're not monks, right? but they are what we can aspire to. You and I need affection and small talk, polite conversation, and so forth. And it's good to talk in these situations. But with grace, with poise, and charm, but also with greater awareness, And this is not the case with untruth, harsh, and divisive speech. So it's not, it's not by an accident that the Buddha emphasized speaking rightly. It's really important. And if we cultivate a mindfulness of what we're saying, we can grow. If there is one practice that is more important than any others, right speech is it. Why? Because we use speech all day long. And so paying attention we're going to be weakening unwholesome states of mind and strengthening beautiful states of mind. This all depends on you. You could go out of here and speak unskillfully. That's up to you. The Buddha can't make you do any of this. Only you can do it. The Buddha said, I have shown you the path to liberation, and now liberation depends on you. And I think this is really true. If you do not take your life in your own hands, even the Buddha cannot make a difference. So it's up to us.
It's up to us to go out there and develop this community. We're going to be talking about that at lunchtime, how we develop community, but it's up to us. And speech is an important part of it. So I wish for all of us that we become more aware of how we are relating to one another in our speech. And if we are, we'll grow as a community. We have a minute or two. Anybody have a question? I love questions. And I love people who fearlessly are willing to ask a question. I have a taker. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. Um, my question is sort of uh, about where the rubber meets the road. Because it seems like one person's truth can be another person's slander. Another person's what? One person's truth could be another person's slander. And when you talk about um, uh, with an aim to um, preserving unity, it seems like there can be situations and we're all members of different groups in our lives and you could be a member of a group and you might witness an injustice, for example, and feel like you have to say something about it. And in your mind, it's very truthful, but the other person might not see it as an injustice and they might think of it as slander and sort of uh, fitting those puzzle pieces together seems like a, a trick. Absolutely. I can anticipate what you might think if I say something. And if I think you can take it well, I'm going to say it. But if I think you are not going to take it well, you see it as harsh, I might wait for another occasion in which to speak. <clears throat> and let's say we go to that other occasion and I speak and you still get upset. The point here is what's in my mind when I'm speaking to you. If my intention is I want to be helpful to you, then I can't control necessarily how you might react to it. I can't do that. I, I, if I were the Buddha, I would already know what you were going to think could say, and so I would know how to say it well, but I'm not an enlightened being, so sometimes I'm going to say something to you that may be unskillful. And what do I do in that circumstance? I try to go back, and let's, let's keep talking until we can work this out, if that's possible. But the other thing we have to be careful about when we see an injustice is to respond in a self-righteous manner. You know, we have to be skillful in those circumstances. It is easy 
for most of us to speak in a self-righteous, prophetic manner. It's harder to relate to you as you and what you're experiencing. Why, do you, why are you saying that? Why are you thinking that? Those are questions that should be going on in my mind. Um, so I guess I go back and say, Michael, we never know for sure how we're going to, how someone else is going to respond to our, something we say. But we can be in charge, if we're mindful, we can be in charge of what our motivation is. That we can be in charge of. And that's, that's all we can be, in, really, that's all we can be in charge of, right? And so it goes to the thing of trying to say the right thing at the right time in the right way. And, you know, that's a practice and we're learning. And um, in community, we would hope that the other person would, would come back to us and say how our words were unskillful or unhelpful. And we would dialogue about that. That's not always possible, but that's what we would hope for. Thank you. Does that help? Yes, thank you. Yeah. I'm often caught in situations where I want to be righteous. It's just, I like, you know, I like to feel good. And um, so we have to be careful about that. Anybody else? Thank you. It's funny, this morning we had a group, a ninja group, and someone had uh, was afraid to ask a question. And they said, I've been so afraid to ask this, but now I will. And you know, that person asking that question opened up an entire hour of conversation. It was wonderful. So questions are great. Good morning. Hi. Slowly, I come to the microphone. I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to hear you. Let me do this. Is that better? Yeah, go closer to the microphone. Is that better? Yeah, it's better. Okay. I'd like to hear more about what you said about opinion. I'd like to ask your opinion on what you said about opinion. About what? Opinion, giving an opinion or not. When someone, you know, not, not giving your opinion when someone asks. Did I understand that right? I can't hear you, quite oh. honestly. She's asking, um, when, when you were talking about opinions, mm -hmm. opinions? Yes, yes. Opinion, so sometimes it's better just not to whittle. She's saying, what's your opinion about... <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, you're. <laughs> well, there... You, you see I why I'm laughing? I'm laughing yeah. because you're asking me uh, to make an opinion on something I said we really shouldn't give a lot of opinion. <laughs> that's, that's why I'm a little confused, I think. Because... Oh, I see. Because I have this, this sense that you know, and, gotcha. and it's problematic for me. If I have an idea, then I understand no one asks my opinion, so I keep it to myself. But oh. if someone asks me my opinion, yeah, I get is it. it not a bit of an affront? It's a not dilemma, to give isn't it? It, it's it a is for me, and yeah, I just dilemma. would like to hear more. Am I catching it right? It's a dilemma? Yes. Yeah, 
And so we have to go back, try to be honest with ourselves. And am I responding out of a need to be important? Or am I giving information? Is something that I am going to add? And we never know for sure. But if our motivation in giving an opinion is just to look smart or to best somebody else, well, probably not give your opinion right then. One of the big temptations is when I'm with another llama, <laughs> I want to look better than them. I mean, I have to say this, and I want to best them. When you're with Lama Kathy, that's impossible. <laughs> but, but, you know, there's that, that, that element. And so you really have to be careful when someone asks your opinion, am I trying to best someone else? particularly when it's my peer. I guess I'm thinking of it more from the standpoint of if I ask you for your opinion and then you deferred, then... Oh, oh if you're asking directly my opinion yes. and I don't give it, yes. that might hurt you. Yes. Yeah. So um, you would have to say that. We'd have to have a conversation about that. and. Uh, so, for example, I didn't give my opinion because, you know, I, I'm just wanting to look better. And there's silence. And on your side, you say, well, gee, that hurts my feelings. And you might have to come back at me and say, you know, you're not telling me this. Not, not giving your opinion is hurting my feelings. And then I have to look at my motivation and say, well, maybe I better say something. Okay. Maybe I should give my opinion here then because that would be helpful to you. Right. So, okay, thank you. It's I all, just needed it, a little more fleshing out. It's so. all in our motivation. And okay. the other point that I'm making is we're never perfect. So I may establish the rule that I'm not going to speak when it's just I'm all puffed up about what I'm go and trying to, out to outdo you. Uh, that may be in my head, but if you mm -hmm. come back and I, oh, I have to look at it differently now. Right. Yeah, the motivation. And I, I'm, yeah. I may need to give my opinion be, based upon um, your feeling bad that I didn't. Okay. Thank you. Does that One help? thing I want, <laughs> want to add, I've had a lot of communication things coming in my life. And so I heard this quote this week, and it said, the language we use is the house we live in. But it was by Cesar Milan, the dog whisperer, talking about how our language to ourselves about our confidence and all is conveyed to dogs, you know, dotted line, other people. Mm -hmm. So anyway, thank you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. So uh, time has run out. In fact, we're over time. So let's, let's dedicate the mirror. So you came here, and I, I, you listened. I could tell people were nodding their heads, and you came with a good motivation. You wanted to learn about Dharma. And um, rather than sort of keep that selfishly, we're going to offer that 
to the enlightenment of all beings. Whatever you gain, whatever little piece of information or, or truth that you heard today, you're going to use that for the benefit of all beings, not just keep it to yourself. We're going to like throw it into the ocean and that little bit of merit that we have will never dry up as long as there is ocean. It's like that. So it's on the back sheet. By this merit, may all attain omniscience. May it defeat the enemy wrongdoing. From the stormy waves of birth, old age, sickness, and death, from the ocean of samsara, may I free all beings. The courageous Manjushri, who knows everything as it is, Samantabhadra, who also knows in the same way, and all the bodhisattvas, that I may follow in their path. I completely dedicate all this virtue. Thank you very much. You have a wonderful week. Um, and uh, I think there is a meeting uh, downstairs afterwards and lunch. So um, good lunch. <laughs> Thank you all. Thank you for joining us for this week's Dharma Talk. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. To learn more about the Columbus Karma Teksum Choling or to donate to support our Dharma Talk series, please visit our website at columbusktc.org. The opening and closing music for the podcast is Tibetan Flute Song by Tamding Arts at tamdingarts.com. Please join us again next week for another Dharma Talk.